Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. And I'm Constantin Kissen. And this is the show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a journalist and broadcaster, Tom Latcham. Welcome to Trigonometry. How are you doing? I, I feel slightly overwhelmed by that <laughs> intro and also... <laughs> given who you've had in the past, slightly cowed as well, you know, I mean, the, the brilliance of Peter Hitchens and <laughs> Mike Graham. Uh, <laughs> hello, Mike, if you're watching. I know Mike. Mike she does watch me, the Mike, show. Well, Mike gave me my break in, uh, in radio. Mm. So Mike was the man that got me onto TalkSport for the first time, and I used to do a pay-per-view with him every week on the overnight show, and then I ended up getting my own show on TalkSport. So if you are watching, Mike, thanks, but it didn't work. All right, so if, if this is shit, you know who to blame. <laughs> but all joking aside, it's, it's great to have you on the show, Tom. Just tell us a little bit about, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, what is your background? Like, what's been your journey through life that leads you to be sitting here in this chair? Um, so I've always been into, I've always been good at English, I suppose. My dad was a journalist for the BBC for 20 years. Uh, my younger brother is also a journalist for the BBC, currently works for Five Live. Uh, so there is very much a journalistic background in our family. Um, and so I decided I wanted to be a newspaper journalist when I was about 14. I did work experience, all that stuff. Ended up getting on the Daily Mirror graduate training scheme straight out of university. Worked there for three years, pissed everybody off. They moved me. <laughs> and uh, this is why he's on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> they moved me to the people, uh, which was like like the runt of the litter, you know, like a Trinity Mirror, you've got the Daily Mirror, the Sunday Mirror. And then the people and all the wrong ones works on the people. And basically at the Daily Mirror, they said, yeah, you, you know, you're a good journalist, but you're a rough, in fact, I remember my boss saying, you're a rough diamond and, uh, <laughs> and, and someone will knock the edges off you. But basically it wasn't going to be him and he moved me to the people. So I went to the people for a year, which was miserable. Um, cause, you know, I mean, the people has a proud tradition, but I don't think that proud tradition has been there for quite a number of years mm. uh, and I got headhunted from there right at the end of my graduate training scheme I'd signed a contract to be on the people to take their staff job and then the News of the World headhunted me just before, just after I'd handed in my contract and said do you want to come and join us on the features team and so I had to go back and say that contract I've just signed uh, can I not uh, go through with that which again pissed people off I got put <laughs> on garden leave and then I went and joined the News of the World where I was a feature writer uh, and then became TV editor quite quickly within about a year. Uh, and then, of course, the newspaper shut and threw, thrust me out into the world. And I decided at that point I'd try and become a radio presenter because I'd done some radio and really enjoyed it. I loved the thriller broadcasting. And actually, when I started my career, I'd always thought I'll do newspapers, then radio, then TV. It was a nice uh, sort of journey. Um, and I worked on that freelance journalism, worked on the, uh, the attempt to become a, uh, a, a, a radio presenter. Mike Graham gave me that opportunity. And then a couple of years later, basically this is what happens at TalkSport. They had, they had a big gap and they were like, uh, what are we going to do to fill it? Tom, do you want to do it? And I was like, absolutely, yes. Mm. So I did the overnight show for uh, the weekends for like two or three years mm. and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I think the ratings were among the highest they've ever been when I left, but it came. It became obvious that I wasn't going anywhere on the top, on talk sport, so I decided to jump before I was pushed, and so I left a year ago. And now I do. I've everything really a bit of PR, a 
bit of a bit of broadcasting. Just about to launch my own podcast uh, on the '90s rave scene. If you want to check it out, Raw. It's called Raw, the '90s <laughs> rave podcast. Uh, if you're into that, there'll be like one person maybe that's listening to this that might be. Uh, and I, yeah, just do all sorts of bit of journalism, a bit of PR, and a bit of uh, a bit of broadcasting, bit of everything really. So you were a broad, so you were a tabloid journalist for very many years. I was, I was, and even when I was a freelance journalist, I was generally serving. Uh, tabloid newspapers because the money is not really there on broad broadsheets don't tend to pay for stories in the way that broad that that, that tabloids did mm. so i would yeah I, I mean i've been a tabloid sort of i would say a tabloid journalist a tabloid staffer for five years mm. a, a freelance journalist working in tabloids for 15 mm. yeah and when you see tabloid journalists criticising tabloid journalism, what, what is your initial impression? Do you think they get a lot of unfair criticism or do you think it's fair, the criticism that they receive? Um, I do feel, hmm. and this, is, this will maybe annoy some of my former colleagues and I apologise to them if, 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 if it does. <laughs> well, I, I do. I, I feel that newspapers are very old-fashioned. I think that when the news of the world shut... Um, there, be, there was a sea change. There was a desire for newspapers to be m- more modern. Mm. You know, you look at just an example. There was calls for such a long time after that for the for the sun to drop page three, and it took forever for them to do it. And it, uh, it was only when they were, you know, dragging and kick, drag, kicking and screaming to do so. And I felt that there was an opportunity after News of the World shut for, for tabloid newspapers to modernise, to to seek a younger audience. Mm. Maybe they just were never going to buy newspapers. I don't know. But they focused on, they sort of retreated and entrenched into their ever diminishing, aka dying, <laughs> readership. Mm. You know, and, and, and I just felt that, it, that they, they became decreasingly less relevant. And so now, obviously, online, the rise of online is where you're seeing, and you are seeing those big brands, Mail, The Sun, The Guardian, you're si- still seeing those big brands um, dominating that market. But I think they probably started too late. They There was no cohesion in how they did it. Some did a paywall, some didn't. And the fact is, you can get most of your news for free. It, you can't put the genie back in the bottle now and make people pay. And I think that's a big problem for newspapers and online. Online journalism doesn't really pay very well. They get kids in. Uh, it's journalism. They're ripping off articles. They're doing. I should point out, they are doing some original journalism. The Guardian, of course. The Sun does... Quite a lot of original online journalism. Uh, the Telegraph bit, as well, I would say, but so, the broadsheets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, there is some original journalism, but there's a lot of j- journalism, and there's uh, you know the, the 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 talent, the experience has been lost out of newspapers, and therefore the quality and the stories that they're delivering are lower and less good. And I mean, that's an issue. Uh, I think it's more about massive content than quality of content. And do you think that's mainly a technological transformation, where, as you say, people don't want to buy a physical newspaper? They might not want to buy one for ethical reasons. They might not want to waste the paper. A lot of people think that way as well. There is that. A lot of people, you know, you can't get them delivered anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can get the Times delivered, centrally, but you can't, generally, you can't get, and there's not many places that, that do newspaper delivery. So unless you go to the supermarkets, and actually, this, you know, this is another, another thing that's just hastening the death of newspapers, is coronavirus. Most people would get it when they went to the supermarket, or they went to the shop of a morning. Well, coronavirus, people weren't going to the supermarkets or the, or the shop every morning. They would go once a week when they needed to because it, was, uh, it wasn't essential. Well, therefore, newspapers, the newspaper sales just fell off a cliff over, over coronavirus. 
That plus online, they were doing ad blocking. I don't know if you know anything about this, but basically um, the advertising the advertising companies um, basically uh, have a list of block words where if there's a block, if there's a certain block word, they cannot advertise on that page. They can, they can, you can fine tune it uh, individually. But one of the words was coronavirus. <laughs> well, so all stories feature coronavirus. Even if you're interviewing a celebrity now, you ask them how their lockdown was. How's coronavirus been for you? So even if it's not, you know, because I understand why they might not want to advertise on a page about X number of deaths per day. I, I totally understand that. But to blanket ban coronavirus seems absurd, particularly given that it is it is enveloping everything. And so they lost millions and millions of pounds. So again, that means there's less money to invest back into journalism. Um, and I think it's just hastened the, the, the probably hastened the death of, of newspapers. Mm. Um, and I think newspapers, people like having something to hold. A lot of the people I've been speaking to, friends, they think they've probably got like 10, 20 years, but it'll probably be the bigger brands that exist as newspapers. And then it will go all online. But we're a million miles from, like the Mail Online monetizes it. They're just about, mm. but not no one else. I think the Sun Online washes its own face, just about. But that doesn't mean makes huge amounts of money. And you know, the Guardian, as we've seen, it relies on money from, you know, the the Scott Trust. They sold, um, they sold, they used to Auto Trader. They sold that for just a couple of hundred million pounds, something like that. And so all that money is gone. But but when you sell everything and you haven't got any more Scott Trust money. You aren't able. You have to monetize it, and I think they're doing okay online, but certainly not making huge. Well, the Guardian. I mean, their section at the bottom begging people for money is now bigger than half their articles. (laughs) But, uh, but you know, I was asking you about the technological point because I guess one of the things we've explored quite a bit on the show is what you might describe more broadly as the kind of decline of the mainstream media more generally, and the feeling among many people that. Uh, the mainstream media don't seem to be offering the substantive stuff that they used to, which is where stuff like this comes in, where people actually have the conversations. And that's obviously not a newspaper thing. It's more of a online, the radio, all of that stuff, TV. A lot of people now feel like the mainstream media is no longer doing the job that we think of the mainstream media as being there to do. Do you know what I mean? I do. A good example is sport. So... The sports coverage it was certainly in the tabloids. It would be all about transfer rumors. Mm. Well, I mean, nowadays, if you want a transfer rumor, you get them anywhere. You know, you can get that stuff anywhere. Like there are all sorts of places are doing it. I don't believe half it anyway. It's all it's all sort of you know agents who want to get something out there. Or, you know, it's, it's and hardly any of it. Hardly anything you read, exclusive transfer wise, is like really a genuine exclusive. So what I was thinking was like, why don't they? And, why don't they switch to analysis? You know, because that's the sort of stuff you can't get anywhere because, you know, you need to be really in tune with the people who who know what they're talking about. You know, you need to be having those conversations on a daily basis. Those websites that run my kids don't have those. Let them do the transfer crap. Fine, whatever. But it's that sort of in-depth analysis, and which is why you've seen The Athletic, you know, be so successful because actually it focuses on... I mean, they could do a good sub-editor because the articles are way too long, but they do focus on in-depth issues and explore things, tactical side of things, all that stuff. And I just felt, why don't they do that? So, you you know, there was an opportunity, for instance, in that area to provide something that is different and makes them stand out, that they've got the the budgets and the capabilities and the staff to do, and they they haven't really done it. 
So that's an example of how, it, how they're failing, I think. And it's also, do you know, I think as well, Tom, is the fact that people no longer have faith in what they're being told by the mainstream media. A lot of people no longer believe it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a, a trust issue. And I think that goes across the board. Well, that, where that comes from, it's probably partly to do with their own fault uh, through a series of... Honestly, it's a series of things, isn't it? You know, phone hacking, uh, which erodes, uh, you know, erodes that sort of trust. It's the um, the close links between the police and the government and the newspapers, which again erodes that trust. It's the the sourced quotes where you don't know where they come from and they're not named, and that erodes the trust. And um, yeah, there's just there's just a series of things. But you've also got lots of people like Donald Trump. Mm. And other people, Boris Johnson, you know, not necessarily Boris Johnson, but, you know, Dominic Cummings, whatever, just telling people that this is, you can't believe this, it's fake news, when it isn't. Um, and I think that there's just been a, there's just a sort of series of factors, like a maelstrom of factors that have led, led to this position. And it's partly to do with the newspapers, it's partly their fault, but I wouldn't say it's all their fault. Mm. And you don't think part of it is the fact that what we've got now, a lot of it is advocacy journalism. Like you go on to The Guardian, you know that they're going to give you a very particular outlook and you know it's not going to be objective. The problem, the, problem, the problem is, though, is that neutral journalism is boring. No one just wants to read neutral journalism. It's dull. Like, you know, it, it doesn't interest people. It doesn't excite people. You know, the, the thing is, when you work in the tabloids, one thing tabloids do well, or historically have done well, whether they do so anymore, is it can be debated. But the one thing they did do, particularly the Daily Mail, whether you hate, like it or you hate it, we was always coached when I do my journalism training, is um, make this story like me. So it's like when you read it, and you're like, why are they going and live in a £450,000 house in a leafy suburb? You're like, well, what does that matter? It does. It's subconscious. It's people going, oh, they're just like me. Mm. So you carry on reading it. You know, I was once told, and this is appalling, by the way, I was once told on one of my newspapers that I was working at, um, <clears throat> if you ever have a story about uh, an Asian uh, lottery winner, put their name in the seventh paragraph. Because if you put it in the top paragraph or the second paragraph, whatever it's going to be, people won't read it. And the majority of newspaper readers are, certainly tabloids, are white, timidly tend to be working class people. Now, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. I was appalled by the idea that, that, that they would do this and that it might be true. But that gives you an idea. They're writing, going, right, we need, to, we need to angle this story so it appeals to our readers. And that is what tabloids have done historically very, very well, and particularly the Mail under Paul Dacre, long time, you know, particularly you know, when it's at its pomp. Um, they, did, they, they frame a story so it appeals. You know, and that's why there's lots of sexy stuff in tabloids. <laughs> because whether you like it or you don't, that does appeal to people. It does interest people. It gets people looking at it. It gets people reading at it, uh, reading those stories. If it's just plain and bland, and there are papers, I'm not going to name the paper, you know, there's a particular paper I can think of that is run pretty straight, and it, and it isn't particularly political. And it's not that interesting to read. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult to strike that balance where you've got to be, you know, as, subje- or as objective as possible, but you need a little bit of the flavour. But also, they're owned by people who have political opinions mm. yeah you know political views so you know you look at uh well they just it was slightly weird with the times and the sunday times because one was remain and one was and one <laughs> was leave which was always weird which suggests actually that rupert murdoch's view wasn't as strong on it as as it, as it might have as it might have we might have believed because we all know that he you know i think we all know that rupert murdoch was a, wanted to leave the eu the sun was very strong on it 
Uh, the Times, the Sunday Times, I think, was Leave, and the Times was Remain. So, it, you know, but you do have these on these uh, owners of these newspapers pumping money into it. You know, they're not doing it because they, you know, they might do it partly because they love journalism. But that's not reason why they're doing it. They're doing it because they want power, influence. Uh, they want to make change, and so therefore you have to reflect what your owner wants sometimes. Now, sometimes you reflect what you think that your your reader wants. So the Sun was very much leave because most Sun readers were leave. But th- there are there are factors that influence why a paper writes th- certain things in a certain way um, that are you know beyond just its politics. Well, let's pick up on that actually because that's a thing a thing that I think most people don't think about, which is all of these broadcasters or most of the broadcasters other than the BBC, uh, radio stations, newspapers, tabloid newspapers, they're all owned by somebody and those people usually own them because they have very strong agendas. To what extent do you think that influences the 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 kind of the direction of of the of the publication? Is that They're all different. Yeah, they're all different. So but are there are there people like who are just like you know what? I bought this thing, and you now do what you whatever you want. Uh, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> who who buys a, who buys a business and go do what the fuck you want with it? Nobody, nobody does that. Of course, I mean that'd be insanity. <laughs> well, probably the owners of West Ham, mate. Well, I mean ultimately, also, I mean you know, let's be honest, they'd like to make money off it, but yeah. right. they're not making a huge amount of money no. off these papers anymore, are they? Yeah. So why do they have them? Right. Yeah. You know, when Rupert Murdoch dies, what will happen to the Sun? I don't think his kids care about particularly. So I think they're interested. So what will happen to them? No one knows. But it, but it's something that you need to think about because he's he's he, what is he eighty two something like that? You know he you know he's not going to be around forever. So what happens then? I, I, I honestly I don't know. Mm. But I think that will, you know that's a very interesting moment for for newspaper journalism because he's one of the few people who does love newspapers. It's in his blood. You know his dad was a was a was a newspaper journalist in Australia and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah. It, I mean, to go back to your question, no, but some people do do it because they love journalism because it's important, but they also use it for influence, you know, for lobbying. You know, all the various different owners like to be, like to know the prime minister. You know, they like to be seen with all these people. So therefore it's that, and there's many reasons why they would do it, but also they, you know, they, they don't do it to lose money and just allow someone else to just run it how they want. But I would say as well, actually, is like, I, I'm not sure because... Rupert Murdoch gets probably an unfair reputation about how much he influences newspapers. And I speak to people who work there. I've got very close friends who are very senior on some of the, on some of the news UK uh, papers. Now, I don't think his influence is as strong as everyone thinks it is these days. I think he largely allows it to, to exist. He might, you know, once, I mean, he's famously, you know, you, uh, Piers Morgan would wrote in his diaries was it back in 2006, talks about when he was the editor of the News of the World when he was a kid about being flown out around the world to meet Rupert Murdoch, to be anointed, and then he would like often ring up. Uh, I think there was one story that said he had a story about one of the Emmerdale stars shagging someone or something. I mean, it, it was a lame story, and he was going to put it on the front, and Rupert Murdoch rang up, as he would do every Saturday, and it's like, what are you going to put on the, what are you gonna put on the front page? And he said, oh, I've got this story, and he was like, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was like, I mean, that's a joke, obviously, isn't it? You're not going to do that. And he was like, uh, okay. (laughs) I don't think he does that anymore. And I wonder whether the news of the world, what happened with that, he probably was getting a bit, his influence or his desire to be influential on it was probably decreasing. And then that sort of, that was a big paper. That went. 
Um, how much of an influence he has, I don't know, but I don't believe it's as probably as strong as everyone, you know, your punter on the street believes it to be. Because I could be wrong, by the way. You know, yeah. I mean, all of this is just from from conversations I've had, but uh, I, I, that surprised me. But you know, you got to I got to believe people who work in that in that building. But you look at the Times, and their journalists are fairly balanced. You tend to get someone from the right, whether it's a Melanie Phillips, and you get somebody from the left, and then you get somebody from the centre, and all the rest of it. They tend to be quite balanced in their outlook, which they do. Well, what I will say is, and this is someone you, sh- you might be able to get, might want to get on the show in the future is a guy called Mick Wright. He's uh, he's on Twitter. He's he's quite a prolific uh, fit sort of. Uh, writer he's quite anti-papers and he does this thing where he so newspapers always say they want to appeal to a younger audience so he adds up the ages of the columnists (laughs) and averages and the average is usually men yeah generally white men generally of you know who are in their late 40s early 50s yeah so you say they're balanced, but but they may be balanced in terms of their politics, but they're not balanced in terms of their ethnicity, in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of their ages, are they? And all that is all that is impactful upon what they write. Of course, it is. So, do you think they need to be more balanced if they're going to appeal to a younger generation? I think they've missed the boat. I mean, I don't think newspapers are are going to appeal to younger people. I think they missed that opportunity, and I and I watched it happen, and I was like. Go on, you can do it, you can do it, you know. And they just missed it as I was watching. I'm like, right, okay, fine. That's, that's that then. Um, I, I mean, online is a different beast altogether. And actually, online journalism is a fascinating thing to think about. I've never worked in online journalism, so I can't say how it operates on a day-by-day basis in terms of how they select the stories and whatever. But from what I do know is, I mean, I know that they have real-time they can literally see in real time what story is doing well and what story is doing bad. And a lot of the stories you'll see will be based solely around what is trending that day, right? So, or that week, or what's big. So, you know, Game of Thrones, always massive. Anything you can link to Game of Thrones online, because it comes up in the search engines, it comes up in the, you know, if you Google Game of Thrones, you know, the sun or the whatever Game of Thrones stories on the carousel on Google, that's how they do it. Now, what you could say is with that, you can... So uh, sometimes I'll pitch a story to them and they'll say, it's not going to do anything for us. And you're like, but it's a good story. And they're like, it's not going to do anything for us. And you're like, right, so what's the judge of what you do? How do you judge what story you use? It's clicks. It's clicks. So you could say, well, that is the pure democratization of newspapers, of media. Like for ages, we've just been reliant on one bloke or woman, but large, usually a bloke. Uh, often white, often privately educated, sitting in an office, uh, gets his news list, they come in, they present in conference, they say, these are the stories, he goes, that's the splash, that's the page three, that's the page five, uh, you know, the four, five spread, that's the, that's the page eight, uh, um, uh, or the page six, or the page eight um, opinion piece, done. And you're like, what are you basing that on? Now you'd hope that they would do some sort of you know, they're such massive organisations with such amount of money in them or, 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 you know, that they would do um, sort of like, what, do you, what would you call them, a group, you know, studies where they, where they ask people, what, what are you like? What are you interested in? So, you know, you've got a basis. But ultimately, it comes down to one person's decision. So have you been getting it wrong the whole time? Has this person been getting it wrong? And actually, this isn't what people are interested in. Oh, it's a great story but it's not what people are interested in. Whereas now you know what people are interested in. It's slightly skewed because a lot of, you know, some things are shared by Facebook. So therefore, who's sharing that? 
I'm not, I, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but only just. Mm. It's my mum. It's my, you know, it's my auntie. It's not young people anymore. They're the ones that are driving the numbers. So is it democratization? So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting sort of thought or, 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 or yeah. discussion to have about is it, is it pure journalism actually or, or is it slightly bastard? I don't know. It's, it's, it, the honest answer is I don't know the truth. But what I do know is that selecting things purely on the basis of one person's view of what is a great story and the best story of the day is not necessarily reflecting what the readers want. But the downside with that, the other model, which, you know, I write for a couple of opinion, opinion pieces for a couple of papers online, and they talk to me all the time about, oh, this article did this well and that article did this. I suppose the problem with that is uh, it, it kind of, we talked about echo chambers for the last four years, particularly since Brexit and Trump and stuff like that. It pushes people, I think, and that's the danger, is it pushes people into more and more of the same thing that they already like. Yeah, and, and also, if you look at, so I don't know what articles you've written and how they, how well they did, but I suspect... They were fucking well, amazing. Mate. Of course. <laughs> Zingers. <laughs> <laughs> Writing more, are you? <laughs> yeah, always, always on the phone. Yeah, man. Um, but he's doing very well at BuzzFeed. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think BuzzFeed's doing very well. Certainly not the news department. Uh, <laughs> sorry, anyone who's watching who's from BuzzFeed who's lost your job. I'm, <laughs> I know you, we I, don't care. I know what I do. I feel your pain. I've been there, and what I will say is you'll be fine. Um, Hopefully, but, uh, no, but what I would say, you know, those articles that you did, and they said how well or badly they did. I don't know if, if you can, if you, if they said as much as this. But I would be, I'd highly bet that the ones that did well were the ones that were incredibly polemic, rather than nuanced. So it goes back to your, why don't we write things straight? It's fucking boring, mate. <laughs> no one wants to read it. What people want to read, and, and actually, I, I think it's unhealthy mm. for, um, for public discourse, for starters, but also I think it's unhealthy for young writers because they're told if you write something, and when you're a kid and you're like 18, when you're 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, you'll write anything mm. and because you're like, I'm going to get published. But what you don't think is you're going to get a backlash. That's going to be there forever. You're going to get a backlash that could haunt you for the rest of your career. And you're told if you don't do this thing, then it isn't going to go in and you're not going to get paid. So you're like, okay, I'll write this thing. And when you believe it or you don't believe it. Because no one likes balanced debate or argument. Like you say, all those columnists, your Melanie Phillips, your David Aranoviches, none of them are going, here's my thoughts, but on the other hand, that. No one does that. No one does that. Of course they don't. They go, this is what I believe. And this is, and this is, and this is one opinion. They, you know, there might be some balance in it, but not really. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a worry. But I, I mean, if I can take the lead in this conversation, I think that there's a real crisis at the moment. Uh, we're heading towards a crisis in, in journalism in Britain. Uh, the world, but I can really talk specifically for Great Britain because the American journalism is, is a different model to, to British journalism. You know, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times do fantastically well because they did a paywall. Mm. We, we basically, the newspaper industry in the UK didn't embrace uh, online journalism soon enough. So therefore, it's hard. They're set up. So newspapers are set up. So you go against each other. That's just their natural way that they are. They're organized. Even internally, and the news of the world, news used to go up against features all the time. It was was bonkers. We'd be fighting over the same stories and outbidding each other on the same stories. And in the end, they had to go, you've got to stop doing that. So basically, all journalism is like, is set up uh, certainly story getting you know so breaking of stories it's like it, it's set up so you you're competing against everybody else right so newspapers are by their nature not collaborative but what it required was 
back when the internet was was starting was 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 becoming clear mm. unfortunately we had people at the top of newspapers who were old and they didn't understand it and they believed that they would always be relevant and powerful now if they've asked a few young people who are you know younger people who actually worked in online what's the future of this what's going to be can you come and work with us and show us what we're doing that would have been the sensible thing to do or maybe set up a task force where they all came together but they didn't because they don't work like that you know they might have something they might talk but there's no there's no <coughs> collective movement where they go right we need to do this because if we don't it's going to lead to this they just went we're going to be fine we're fine we're making money we're going to be fine and they're not fine and so what you've got is you know have some have a paywall uh some that don't i mean they all pretty much and the telegraph actually does and i think it's the independent does the spectator does but the, the spectator like, yeah although that's not a newspaper yeah. yeah but you know the sun doesn't it tried for a bit i think did it did try for a bit the news of the world tried for a bit didn't go didn't you know people weren't paying for it um the guardian doesn't there's no across the board thing and as i said to you earlier you know once you've not paid for something you don't want to pay for it in the future it's hard to make people then then pay for that so they're struggling to monetize it they didn't get online presences for like 10 years too late. I remember in 2008 when I was at The People, I remember my boss there saying, I was saying, when are we going to get a website? It's 2008. <laughs> and they said, oh, it's coming on in single digit weeks. I'd left by the time it happened. It didn't happen. And you're like, this is bonkers, guys. This is so mad. So they were always playing catch up because they were full of hubris. You know, the bosses there were full of hubris. They were like, we're going to be fine. We're, we're indestructible. We're the best. Well, we now see they're not, and they're dying. And they were, so they were late to get, to get into that point. They don't know how to monetize it. So what you're seeing is newspapers now, they are slashing staff. They are slashing budgets. They're slashing the pagination. Advertising has gone through the floor because people aren't really buying it anymore. The sales are, are, are dying, but they're still struggling to monetize online. But what they want with online is lots of stories. So basically, I used to be able to sell, when I was a freelance journalist, I used to be able to sell stories to some of the tabloids, and some pay better than others. We don't need to say who paid best, but you know, I could sell a page lead for sometimes maybe 900 pounds and it wouldn't be you know wouldn't be a huge amount of work that's great you know you're just like ring them up got a story do you want it yeah right i didn't have to write it you write it and they pay you like 900 pounds maybe for a spread you might get a couple of grand for a splash you're going to get up to maybe ten thousand pounds and what you sorry just so just to be clear what sorry. you're bringing in is the information yeah i mean sometimes i'll write it if they're busy or whatever but i mean i did i mean the ideal situation is you get a tip and you ring out ring, ring someone up and you say do you want this and they go yes we do and i go can i leave it with you and they say yes so all you do is you're passing on a bit of information and you're getting paid you know yeah but sometimes i'll write them i, d- I tend not to have my name on them because it you know whatever I, i'm i'm beyond that I don't i don't need my name on stories anymore it's irrelevant and actually to be honest i don't really sell anymore i'll come on to that why i don't so you used to be able to get that for page lead in those papers. Now, I mean, I think there's some papers you have to get a sign-off on anything over 100, 200 quid. Really? Yeah. So, you know, if you're thinking, once upon a time, I was able to make one story, 900 pounds. You know, that's a pretty decent week's wage. You know, I mean, it's, if you get a couple, you're laughing. Now you have to sell five or ten of those to make the money, and that's in the paper alone, but they're not paying as much, so it's all being done internally. Therefore, their stories are less good, and it's just this sort of vicious cycle, and it goes down and down and down. Um, payments are less, pag- pagination is less, it's just down and down and down. Online, some online 
places pay for a really good story they'll pay good money but for a just a standard online story they might pay 250 300 quid so you've got to get three of those but it's harder to keep them exclusive because online journalism it's you know everyone's you know churning out stuff finding stuff on the internet you know churning them out it's harder to get stuff and so actually it becomes harder for freelance journalists and agencies who have historically provided an awful lot of stories to newspapers, good quality stories, it's harder for them to make a living. So therefore they leave journalism and they go into PR or whatever. But a lot of them will go into PR. And they're still putting it in stuff. And people like the newspapers will take PR stuff because it's free. But it's not journalism, is it? It's PR dressed up as a journalistic story. But it's, but it's ultimately PR. And so therefore you're getting fewer journalists working in the industry. You're getting more PRs. So therefore, it's the rise of PR, and that I don't think is healthy for British journalism. So if you look at local newspapers have had this over the last uh, 20 years, whatever, 20, 30 years, totally cut to shreds, virtually don't exist. And a really good example of where they failed was Grenfell Tower. So for ages, the locals have been saying, this is a death trap. This place is a death trap. And had it been 20 years ago, there would have been local journalists on that patch covering that story, holding the local council's feet to the fire and saying, this is dangerous, you need to change this. And they might have changed it. It didn't happen because they don't exist anymore. It's just, if if there even is a local paper, it's one person who is just doing press, knocking out press releases, you know. So again, PR, it's just knocking out PR, right? Or fire reports or whatever. But it, they don't have time to do any investigating. They don't have any time to, to go along to your council meetings, to go to your local court hearings, to, to, to find out when someone's behaving badly and needs to, be, needs to be, you know, that needs to be highlighted. So that was what happened on local papers. We're starting to, you, you will start to see that on national newspapers. And we also, we know what happened at Grenfell. You know, dozens and dozens of people died. In, in this horrific fire. And there's been inquiries that have lasted years. People are like, why? How did this happen? Well, newspapers used to be able to pre- help prevent these things from happening. They were important. You know, it was an important part of society, you know, an important, uh, an important piece in the jigsaw of, civil, of civic society, right? Well, that doesn't exist in locals anymore. And we're starting to see it in national newspapers now. People like me. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying me because I generally, you know, historically, I started as a news reporter, but I ended up being a, a showbiz writer and I've done sport and whatever. I, I've never been an investigative journalist. I do do some news stories and some of them are valuable, but I'm not really talking about me personally, but I'm a good example of this. I can no longer make a living out of being a freelance journalist in newspapers. It's just not possible. There's too much. You require too many stories for too little money. It's just not. I've got a family. I've got a mortgage. I've got kids. I can't rely on selling stories. It's happened in the last three or four years since I went to talk sport. I stopped selling stories. Come out the back of it, and it's now not possible. The situation has changed. So that means this: you're going to get someone like me leaving, not investigating the stories, not chasing down those leads that they get because they know it's not worth it financially. To, to be able to live a life, right? Agencies are the same. They'll have had their budget slashed because newspapers aren't paying them the same amount of money that they used to. So you've got fewer people out there on patches looking at stories, you know, going to court, finding out that someone's been bad or, or whatever. And therefore, 
what will happen is inevitably it's happening. Here's a good example. Another guy I spoke to, investigative journalist, did stuff for the Times. He was in his 60s, so it was fine for him. He was able to do these stories. But he used to do these investigative stories, which were really in-depth stuff for the Times. And I asked him, how much you get paid for a page lead? And he said, 350 quid. This was like four, three years ago, right? It was like 350 quid. I was like, what? So you have to make at least two, maybe three a week to make this, you know, your weekly wage, really. Now, he probably didn't have a mortgage, so he was fine. But there are younger people who, who won't be able to do that. So it does mean that people aren't, you know, bad people are going to be able to get away with bad things on a national level now, whereas before it was, it was more local. And I think we're in a real... We're at a really worrying point where if that function of civic society isn't functioning properly, what does that lead to? That allows people to get away with bad things, be it the government or, you know, or any of the public bodies or the police or criminals or whatever. And that that's a worry. I mean, that's a real worry. And I don't know how, I, you know, I can't give you an answer about what we do to improve this situation but it's we should all be seriously worried about that. Whether you look, whether you think journalism, mainstream media is not doing its job or not, it did a job. It did do a job. It reported bad things. It reported on bad people. It held people to account. It got you know, it did a lot of a lot of that stuff, and it's not able to do that anymore. I don't think, no, certainly not in the same way it used to, and that's that should worry us all. And do you think part of it as well is that, especially tabloid journalism, it relied on the big scoop, like we take the Ryan Giggs incident. Where you know they he cheated well he had sex with his brother's wife and it was all covered up, and everyone was like who was it blah blah blah. All you need to do now is go on Twitter. So this way of funding itself on the scoop and all the rest of it simply well, doesn't exist. I, some scoops have not necessarily moved the dial financially. I did a story on a mm. footballer sleeping with a sleeping with a, a sex worker, and it was I'm slightly ashamed to say the best story I ever did. Um, <laughs> and it cost us like 50 grand, yeah. I think. It, you know, I don't need to say it was again, it doesn't matter. But it, it cost us like 50 grand to do the whole story from start to finish, including paying the, the sex worker. Didn't do anything for the, for, for the sales figures. No, nothing. But what it did was it showed that that newspaper was a newspaper that did, that did deliver scoops and is worth buying. So it was worth that money, you know, it, it, in that sort of sense. It's sort of a, you know, like a pride uh, splash. But there are some splashes that do move the dial. Like uh, I remember when they did Michael Jackson's deathbed at the News of the World, it put on 250,000 extra readers that morning. Uh, when it was selling like just around about 3 million or just under 3 million. It put on 250,000. So some do move the dial. But I speak to people who work in newspapers now and they're not getting ringings anymore. No one's ringing them. They just, uh, and I don't know why that is. Is, uh, is it because newspapers aren't trusted? Is it because they're not really paying the, the same sort of money anymore? I think partly there's a lot of it is, is that you can't get people to do stuff with newspapers anymore because it's a bit shameful. You know, the idea that someone would sell an interview to a to a story is is. I mean, I know, for instance, the Sun. You know, a lot of celebrities, a lot of celebrities do do stuff with the Sun because they know that it has a value. But a lot of them won't anymore for various reasons. You know, the many reasons that we all know about over the years. You know, that things have people have had a problem with the Sun for. They won't do it anymore. So, is it just that people don't want to deal with newspapers so much anymore? And again, that means that those stories aren't being told. You know, whistleblowers aren't coming. They're not ringing up. You know, they've seen some terrible stuff happening uh, at a hospital that they work at. And they're like, you know, in years gone by, they'd have rung up The Sun or one of the bigger papers. But now they're not. Why is that? I don't know. 
Well, yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because we get a lot of people contacting us and saying, with stories. Yeah. yeah. Well, you should bring the sun because <laughs> <laughs> they're desperate. I mean, they're just waiting by the phone. Uh, they're like, uh, yes, 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 yes. Hello. Oh, story. Great. Yeah, that'll go down really well with our viewers in Liverpool, yeah, yeah. won't it? Yeah, yeah. We can resell our story. <laughs> well, you don't the tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. And just sell them a lead. Uh, how much do you think uh, part of that undermining of trust? And I think it's such an important point that you made, which is that I know. I've always thought this about the mainstream media, and I criticize many aspects of what the mainstream media do now a lot. But I've always thought that investigative journalism was the one thing that no one else can do, right? Francis and I aren't going to do investigative journalism. Absolutely not. Yeah. That just wouldn't work. Do. Right? <laughs> Look at that. Don't Patreon do yourself. I. Don't do yourself down. <laughs> do ourselves down. We don't. I mean, you might struggle in here. Yeah, yeah. But but you know what I mean. Like, uh, so I I actually have always thought that the mainstream media, newspapers, and other broadcasters, etc., they have a crucial function in society, which you described, which they're now less able to do. And they used I should to be say, like, I should say that the investigative journalism is one of the things that has held up. And and you know, some of it's not. It's not necessarily particularly being done by men. Look at them rowing back. But yeah. it is being done by, you know, the Times does. The Times does stuff. You know, the BBC does. That. But less. Sort of Your point was it's done hey. less, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is my point. But I, I, I think, um, I, let me ask you this because I think part of it may be the undermining of trust had happened with the news of the world with the phone hacking, with the Leveson Inquiry, which un- unveiled quite a lot of other wrongdoing, not just phone hacking. You know, uh, my, one of my school teachers was. Um, I've forgotten his name. Uh, Christopher Jeffries, right? Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is a guy, for people who don't know, he was uh, wrongly accused of being a murderer. The newspapers, because it was just before Christmas, there was nothing else to write about. So every newspaper wrote about him. Like, well, he looked a bit strange. Didn't and he, he and looked that, very and strange. And that was what the headline was, I think. It was on The Sun, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. It was the, 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 the weird world of Mr. Jeffries oh, or something like that. It was that. definitely weird. It's yeah, definitely but I mean, that's weird. not a crime. No. I mean, it's, not, it's not a reason for ending up on the front page of the Well, system. I think it should be prosecuted. No, uh, but, but you know what I'm saying? is like th- there was one thing after another where I think people felt like, oh, this is this dark, nefarious world, which I'm sure it always was, but that was never really revealed to the public well, in Well, I, I think the more, more is coming out regarding the sort of dark arts that was used on... Uh, on, on newspapers over the years. Um, I mean, you've seen there was a, a Channel 4 documentary recently, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but Murder in the Car Park, which featured uh, the Daniel Morgan murder. It was He was a private investigator who was murdered by uh, in a car park of a pub who was apparently just about to blow the lid on police corruption by ringing the papers. And his business partner has since has been he's been a prime suspect for a long time and he's stood trial and been you know acquitted etc etc. He was part of he gave interview as part of this documentary. It's a brilliant documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's fascinating. I mean, the, the sort of these two the, the two main suspects are both interviewed at length throughout it, which is just really really interesting. Just as a, as a sort of just a sort of. Um, anthropological you know <laughs> study study i mean you know yeah. just watching it is it's fascinating but it's an interesting topic it's the world's uh, the uk's most investigated murder 30 million pounds has been spent investigating it and they've never convicted anybody and now i suspect they probably won't because you'd need fresh evidence to do that and i don't think you're going to get that from from 33 years ago and which is a crying shame because it was appalling but it just uh, it, it brought up lots of um police corruption and uh, and a whole range of things and i think that a lot of that stuff so jonathan reese uh, was the uh, and daniel morgan they owned a company called southern investigations and they were one of the early adopters of dark arts on newspapers it's alleged 
Um, I mean, he's been he's been done for for. I mean, he's he's been done for various things. So I mean, you know, we're probably legally safe to say to say this. But you know, there are receipts that exist that show that he was delivering stuff for national newspapers, uh, which were questionable. He was wiretapped saying, you, you know, telling a, a leading reporter at the Daily Mirror, you know, what we're doing is illegal. So you know, this goes back to the mid nineties. And through the mid-90s, and then phone hacking came to pass. I mean, if you want to talk about phone hacking, it's interesting. I, I've, I've never hacked a phone, but I know how you do it. Um, and I think that what happened was, if, I mean, if, if, this, is what, this is my take on what happened in the news of the world. Um, I think that there was a, uh, an ongoing... Budgets get cut. They were still massive then, but they were being cut. They weren't as massive as they were in the 90s. So they're being cut. There is a... Um, still that sort of atmosphere where you've got to deliver a story and I don't care how, I don't care how you do it, just do it, right? So that then, with that, combined to the shrinking budgets, once upon a time, I think they probably didn't hack phones de rigueur. I think they probably used them as a last resort of standing up a story, right? But what they would do is they would probably use other methods that were nefarious and then they might hack a phone at the end. And what they would do is they'd often pull uh, phone... They'd, pull, they'd blag a phone bill. So they'd pretend to be an employee of the phone company and say, can you send me that person's bill, please? And they'd send it, celebrity, whatever. And they would see who they were calling late at night. And they would go, who's that number? And they'd turn that around. And they'd be like, oh, look, those two celebrities are dating. So then they'd put a watch on them because they knew that, that was happening. So that's illegal to do that. But they'd put a watch on them, which isn't legal, but, you know, the way they got there was and then they might hack a phone after that to know that they've been doing messages or whatever or to, but then with the um, budgets going down and there's still that sort of like you must get the story you must deliver regardless I think that engendered a, a culture whereby we you know the most important thing is getting the story and we don't care how we haven't got huge budgets to do these watches because they're really expensive to put a, a photographer on a job 24-7 for a week that's really expensive all right, well, and then it started with journalists going, well, let's see if we can find a story by hacking a phone. So that was how, I think that's how the journey was made. And then at that point it became, you know, they started hacking, as we, as we know, people close to the royalty. And that was how the balloon went up. And you know, the News of the World said one rogue reporter, which was later proven not to be true. <laughs> um, and, and then there's a lot coming out about it. And I think that, I think there's more to come. I mean, Prince Harry at the moment is um, is suing uh, a couple of newspapers over phone hacking. He believes he's been surveyed his entire life, phone hacked and um, various Will things. Would that surprise you? I think it's brazen, but probably not. I mean, this is the thing is, you know, when you've been in it, I, I, so this is the thing, I, I never hacked a phone. But one of my, one of my best friends... Uh, at the News of the World, one of my colleagues is sort of a mentor to me, is a guy called Dan Evans. Um, he was the whistleblower uh, who moved from the Sunday Mirror to the News of the World and brought phone hacking with him from there onto the features department. And basically, my former boss there was uh, got a suspended sentence for you know, conspiracy to, to hack phones because of his work with Dan Evans. So Dan, I, I used to sit next to him, but I had no idea. I had no clue this was going on. You know, And I remember him sort of saying stuff to me, he's like, oh God, you're really good, Tom. I mean, a really good reporter. You know, you get some great stories, uh, fair play. You know, like, I'm really impressed by you. And I was like, you know, so do you. But looking back now, I'm like, oh, but he was hacking phones. So actually, you know, he was envious of the, 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 
I was able to generate some stories without hacking phones. But the pressure was on him. He was brought in on the basis that he was going to do this. So then he had to do it. And so it, it sort of enveloped his world. But from knowing Dan and, and from reading widely around the topic and, and all that sort of thing, no, it doesn't surprise me, really. Um, it saddens me, but it doesn't surprise me. What saddens me as well is that, so, you know, the thing is with celebrities, we sort of, you, you, I'm not saying that hacking a, a celebrity is okay. It's, it's clearly patently not okay. But some people might say, well, they're just celebrities, right? The thing was, they weren't just hacking celebrities' phones. You know, it was anyone who came into, um, as we as we knew, Mini Dowler, et cetera, et cetera, all that sort of stuff. It was anybody that came under the glare of newspapers, anyone who happened to find themselves in, you know, of interest to newspapers would basically have their lives ransacked, their private information ransacked, phones hacked, whatever. And can you, I mean, that must have ruined relationships. It must have ruined mental health, uh, ruined uh, careers, lives, you know, because people are going, you leaked that, you must have leaked that, you know, and what an awful thing to have gone through. And that, that makes me really sad. That makes me sad that, that, that the idea that getting this story was more important than, than people's, than other people's lives. You know, it was like the story is king. Well, it's, it's bollocks, isn't it? I mean, it's just fucking bollocks. You know, no story. I mean, if there's a public interest, you know, then I'm, 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 I'm more sanguine about it. But just doing it on the basis that you want, you need a story on the latest, you know, you need a news line on the latest story is just awful. And also what upsets me is that there are a lot of people who were doing all this stuff who've gone on to be incredibly successful in their industry and good people who just, who, 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 who did good quality journalism without having to ruin anyone's life, without having to turn to illegal or illicit news gathering techniques. Didn't. And that's bullshit. You know, that's, that's, real, that's, a real, that's a shame. And actually, it comes back to the point of why sometimes people now don't, don't trust newspapers anymore because there are people who are claimed to have been doing this or known to have been, who are still, who, who were promoted and became the bosses. Um, yeah, so that's, that, 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 that slightly frustrates me, but you know, whatever it is, I mean, it is what it is, you know, they're private companies, they do what they want. And actually, you know what I should say as well, newspapers isn't the only place that this goes ahead. You know, there's, there's all sorts of illegal activity that goes on in banking, that goes on in uh, law, that goes on in whatever, but I don't work in them. So, you know, while I don't agree with them, I think it's wrong, but I don't work in those areas. So I don't have the same passion or upset about that happening that I feel happened in newspapers which i hold very dear to my heart historically there's before you jump in front very quickly yeah. there's also another small distinction there which is we don't expect the banks or lawyers to hold the government to account or to hold the powerful to account Quite. whereas yeah. the job of journalism for some journalism is to be on uh, kind of vigilant against misbehavior corruption, corruption right yeah. and i think that's why th th there's a double disappointment sometimes with elements of journalism where it's like not only are these people not necessarily doing the job that we want them to do but they're also corrupt themselves while they're they're criticizing others i think and also anyway. and, you know there's not many people um who have worked in newspapers or historically who there's a sort of a bit of an immerter <laughs> You know, you don't criticise newspapers. 
And I criticise them on the basis, uh, A, I don't work there anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but more importantly, because, it's, because I care. You know, someone might look at this, like someone I used to work with or whatever, or people I still, you know, work with and go, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be saying this stuff. I say it because I care. I say it because I'm passionate about it, because it's important to me that, you know, because I know what newspapers can do. I know the good that newspapers can do. I know how important they can be. Crucial, in fact, for a civic society, as we spoke about earlier. And, I, and I've done things that were important. I've done stories that were important. I've done stories that changed people's lives. And that is the good that they can do. And so to see it, you know, see people who who work in it behave in that way, in that way, it upsets me. So I say all this stuff not because I'm bitter about newspapers, it's because I because I give a shit, because <laughs> I care, because it's important. And and I think that often newspapers or too often newspapers aren't fulfilling the function that they should be fulfilling. I think the the moment with phone hacking, I'll be honest with you, I don't think people cared that much about celebrities. I think there's a general yeah, attitude about right. in the UK of like, well, you put yourself in the public eye. Which, by the way, is wrong, and it's, yeah. that's bullshit, but I do, there is, yeah. I do believe that is true. Yeah, So uh, and they feel that way, and like you said, it's not right. But I think the moment people got really angry about the phone hacking scandal was Millie Dowler, yeah. where... Her, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, her mobile phone was missing and then there were messages from her parents um, on the phone. So, I mean, her phone would have been missing because it was would have been with her. But um, it was basically... The, the, the claim that The Guardian made yeah. uh, was that the News of the World hacked the voicemail, which they did, yeah. but they also deleted it. So they deleted voicemails. Um, and that gave the Dowler family false hope that she was still alive because it was like, oh, she's she's listened to her messages. Mm. But she hadn't. They were wrong. That was what shut the news of the world, by the way. That that claim, that one claim was 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 ultimately what the straw that broke the camel's back. Rupert Murdoch might have closed it eventually. He might have closed it. It might have been something else. If it wasn't that, it would have been something else. But they were wrong in that. The Guardian were were mistaken in that. They got that wrong. Um voicemails delete themselves automatically after a certain amount of time and that's what had actually happened um but the guardian ran this and i actually went on tv afterwards defending this and saying actually you know what the guardian are saying all this stuff and you're hold they're holding themselves up as um as as a sort of um Paragon of virtue. Well, you know, it's not the, like the Guardian. Is it? <laughs> no, but, no, but, you know, they're saying, you know, it, look, if, if you're gonna, if you're going to criticise, you need to, you need to make sure that you're right. Yeah. As a, yeah. You know, if you're going to criticise ethics in journalism, you need to make sure that your stories are right. And it wasn't right. And I went on and I said, actually, I think that that was the moment. So for me, when the news of the world shut, I, I remember. Ah, so the week that it happened, the week the news of the world shut, um, that story broke, and. Uh, people, I was always, you know, do showbiz interviews and they started dropping out. They were like, I don't want to do anything with the news of the world. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do my job here. I was getting loads of grief on Twitter for, you know, being scum news of the world journalist, but there was a diktat that we weren't able to send in, or rather we weren't getting any guidance over what we could say. So I was just, people were just attacking me on Twitter and I couldn't defend myself. And it's weird to just go, oh, you know, something else and ignore all that stuff. Because, so I just withdrew. I also boycotted the office uh, along with one of my other colleagues because I wanted to send a message out as one of the more senior reporters at the News of the World, the TV editor. I was like, you need to tell us what's going on. You need to give us some guidance because this is unacceptable. What's happened here is unacceptable and we're just being left to hang. And then 
And it was that. It was the mini data piece. And I remember ringing my dad, who never really liked the fact I worked for 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 the news of the world for Rupert Murdoch. He was proud that I was there, but he he, he didn't he didn't like it. I ring him, and I was in tears. I was like, I've got to leave this paper. I can't. I, I, I as a just as a personal thing, I, I can't stay at a newspaper that has that has paid someone else to do this and made the you know potentially impacted in a criminal investigation, but also that has done this to those poor parents. I, I've got to leave. So I boycotted the office and so yeah, for it to not be true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They did hack they did you know, they did hack her voicemail. Yeah. So I you know, I you know, it, it, it's sort of semantics, really. It's unforgivable. Yeah. I mean yeah. it's indefensible, unforgivable and all the rest of it. But Tom, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, man. Really fascinating stuff. And I think it, it gives a context to a lot of the stuff that people feel when they look at newspapers, yeah. when they look at their TV screens, when they look at broadcasting. And they they feel certain things, but they don't necessarily know why, you know. And I think the point you made particularly about the fact that it's becoming harder and harder to hold people to account for things that are going wrong, I, I think that's so true. Well, the government, right, would have fallen. <laughs> In normal times, the government would have fallen again and again and again. There would have been resignations all over the place if if they still had that power. But I don't think they do. They have some power. You know, they, they, they have the ability to, I mean, the EU, leaving the EU stuff, they, you know, they exert a lot of power over that. But I don't know, did they lead people to that or did they reflect people's view on that? But yeah, you know, you look at the government and the way they're behaving at the moment. It's, you know, there are plenty of opportunities where there would have been people who would have resigned in normal situation, you know, 50, 10, 15 years ago. But they're not now. Is that to do with the media? I don't know. Pro- possibly. You know, people aren't, they're not as powerful. They're getting them, people are getting their news from elsewhere, social media, et cetera. I don't know. Brilliant. And it, like I said, great interview. And the last question we always ask is, what's the one thing that we're not talking about as a society that we really should be? Well, I don't think we're talking about this enough, actually. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I sort of, I, I, you, you said I was going to get asked this question at the end and I didn't have an answer. But actually, now I'm talking about it. I think this is important. This is something that we should be talking about. I, I'm, I'm sick of people actually saying that journalism is... Uh, you know, is well, the MSN is is this or it's that? It's like it. Look, it's just part of a wider media, and it all has its value and it all has its merits. And I think that we need to talk about this more, and we need to work out how we're going to fund this, because at the moment, it isn't going to fund itself. So if you want, if you want a free and fair media, then you will need someone you need something to fund it you know like and and otherwise it's going to be someone that you might not like the politics of or someone that you think might not be doing it for the right reasons you know rather than just being campaigning journalism or you know or exposing journalism i think that's what we need to talk about where's the money coming from for journalism in this country how are we going to get over this uh, and what we're going to do because if we don't the results are going to be incredibly worrying I don't know where it goes. I honestly don't know where it goes, but uh, it it doesn't seem positive. I, I don't see a positive outcome to it. Well, on that cheery note, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, going to wrap up. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming You're welcome. on. Uh, have you been chased off Twitter uh, by those mobs, or are you still on there? Uh, I'm still on there, but a little bit. Like, oh, I can't be bothered, to be honest. I, when I was presenting on TalkSport... I, I, I would just get so much shit. <laughs> yeah, we both. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like our football fans. Yeah. 
guys, I'm only pretending to care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I remember we, Tom and I used to co. Uh, I used to co-host with you on the overnights. I remember because I said I voted Remain. I think oh, someone called me a. Uh, what is it? A pro remain pedo apologist yeah, or something? something like that. Yeah, get, get a lot of that stuff. I, I mean, they one, nailed it. But... I got one person texting me once to say, um, your brother's a much better broadcaster than you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was lovely. I was like, well, that's cost you 50p. So, you know, yeah, you obviously cared enough to, to, to message me. No, so I am on Twitter, uh, but I won't bother giving you my, my handle. because. All right, don't follow him. Don't send him any shit. And no. I'm sorry that someone called you a pro remain. But if you do apologist. want to, but if you are, uh, if you do want to follow anything, uh, so Raw, R-O-A-R, the 90s rave podcast, if you've got even a vague interest in, you don't have to be into rave music in the 90s. If you're into dance music, if you're into culture and British society in the 90s, there will be something in it for you. And I'm hopeful it's going to be journalistic. There's going to be loads of interesting stories. It's not all just going to be about rave stuff. So that's my new project. If anyone wants to, you know, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I've got, by the time this is out, I think they'll put it, the website will be live. So it's Raw, uh, the 90s rave podcast. It looks great, man. You showed us a few pictures before yeah. we started. It looks really cool. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, it's whether I can monetize it. If I can, if I can come any can close to you guys, then, you know, uh, I'll be a happy man. You do it very yeah, well. Yeah, it might take a few years. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it'll be great. Well, I'll have run out of subjects. By <laughs> it's only limited, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much for coming on. We'll make sure to put all that stuff in the description. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Cheers, Tom. And uh, we'll see you very soon with another brilliant episode or catch us on the live stream. Absolutely. Take care and see you soon, guys. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.